0: chapter 9 of a sportsman's sketches this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by Tavarish. a sportsman's sketches by ivan turgenev translated by constance Garnett. kasian of fair springs I was returning from hunting in a jolting little trap, and overcome by the stifling heat of a cloudy summer day. It is well known that the heat is often more insupportable on such days than in bright days, especially when there is no wind. I dozed and was shaken about, resigning myself with sullen fortitude to being persecuted by the fine white dust, which was incessantly raised from the beaten road by the warped and creaking wheels when suddenly my attention was aroused by the extraordinary uneasiness and agitated movements of my coachman, who had till that instant been more soundly dozing than I. He began tugging at the reins, moved uneasily on the box, and started shouting to the horses, staring all the while in one direction. I looked round. We were driving through a wide ploughed plain, low hills also ploughed over, ran in gently sloping, swelling waves over it, the eye took in some five miles of deserted country. In the distance the round tree treetops of some small birch copses were the only objects to break the almost straight line of the horizon. Narrow paths ran over the fields, disappeared into the hollows and wound round the hillocks. On one of these paths, which happened to run into our road five hundred paces ahead of us, i made out a kind of procession at this my coachman was looking it was a funeral in front in a little cart harnessed with one horse and advancing at a walking pace came the priest beside him sat the deacon driving behind the cart four peasants bareheaded carried the coffin covered with a white cloth two women followed the coffin the shrill, wailing voice of one of them suddenly reached my ears. I listened. She was intoning a dirge. Very dismal sounded this chanted, monotonous, hopelessly sorrowful lament among the empty fields. The coachman whipped up the horses he wanted to get in front of this procession. To meet a corpse on the road is a bad omen. And he did succeed in galloping ahead beyond this path before the funeral had had time to turn out of it into the high road, but we had hardly got a hundred paces beyond this point when suddenly our trap jolted violently, heeled on one side, and all but overturned. The coachman pulled up the galloping horses and spat with a gesture of his hand. "'What is it?' I asked. My coachman got down without speaking or hurrying himself. But what is it? The axle is broken. It caught fire, he replied gloomily, and he suddenly arranged the color on the off side horse with such indignation that it was almost pushed over. But it stood its ground, snorted, shook itself, and tranquilly began to scratch its foreleg below the knee with its teeth i got out and stood for some time on the road a prey to a vague and unpleasant feeling of helplessness the right wheel was almost completely bent in under the trap and it seemed to turn its centerpiece upward in dumb despair what are we to do now i said at last that's what's the cause of it said my coachman pointing with his whip to the funeral procession which had just turned into the high road and was approaching us. "'I have always noticed that,' he went on. "'It's a true saying, Mittercorpse, yes, indeed.' And again he began worrying the offside horse who, seeing his ill-humour, resolved to remain perfectly quiet and contented itself with discreetly switching its tail now and then i walked up and down a little while and then stopped again before the wheel meanwhile the funeral had come up to us quietly turning off the road on to the grass the mournful procession moved slowly past us my coachman and i took off our caps saluted the priest and exchanged glances with the bearers they moved with difficulty under their burden their broad chests standing out under the strain of the two women who followed the coffin one was very old and pale her set face terribly distorted as it was by grief still kept an expression of grave and severe dignity she walked in silence from time to time lifting her wasted hand to her thin drawn lips the other a young woman of five-and-twenty had her eyes red and moist and her whole face swollen with weeping as she passed us she ceased wailing and hid her face in her sleeve but when the funeral had got round us and turned again into the road her piteous heart-piercing lament began again my coachman followed the measured swaying of the coffin with his eyes in silence then he turned to me it's martin the carpenter the bearing he said martin of reabi how do you know i know by the women the old one is his mother and the young one's his wife has he been ill then yes a fever the day before yesterday the overseer sent for the doctor but they did not find the doctor at home he was a good carpenter he drank a bit but he was a good carpenter see how upset his good woman is but there women's tears don't cost much we know women's tears are only water yes indeed and he bent down crept under the side horse's trace and seized the wooden yoke that passes over the horse's heads with both hands anyway i observed what are we going to do my coachman just supporting himself with his knees on the shaft horse's shoulder twice gave the back strap a shake and straightened the pad then he crept out of the side horse's trace again and giving it a blow on the nose as he passed went up to the wheel he went up to it and never taking his eyes off it slowly took out of the skirts of his coat a box slowly pulled open its lid by a strap slowly thrust into it his two fat fingers which pretty well filled it up rolled and rolled up some snuff and creasing up his nose in anticipation helped himself to it several times in succession accompanying the snuff taking every time by a prolonged sneezing then his streaming eyes blinking faintly he relapsed into profound meditation well i said at last my coachman thrust his box carefully into his pocket brought his hat forward on to his brows without the aid of his hand by a movement of his head and gloomily got up on the box what are you doing i asked him somewhat bewildered pray be seated he replied calmly picking up the reins but how can we go on we will go on now but the axle pray be seated but the axle is broken it is broken but we will get to the settlement at a walking pace of course over here beyond the copse on the right is a settlement they call it udina and do you think we can get there my coachman did not vouchsafe me a reply. I had better walk, I said. As you like. And he nourished his whip. The horses started. We did succeed in getting to the settlement, though the right front wheel was almost off and turned in a very strange way. On one hillock it almost flew off, but my coachman shouted in a voice of exasperation, and we descended it in safety. Udina settlement consisted of six little low-pitched huts, the walls of which had already begun to warp out of the perpendicular, though they had certainly not been long built. The backyards of some of the huts were not even fenced in with a hedge. As we drove into this settlement, we did not meet a single living soul there were no hens even to be seen in the street and no dogs but one black crop-tailed cur which at our approach lipped hurriedly out of a perfectly dry and empty trough to which it must have been driven by thirst and at once without barking rushed headlong under a gate I went up to the first hut, opened the door into the outer room, and called for the master of the house. No one answered me. I called once more. The hungry mewing of a cat sounded behind the other door. I pushed it open with my foot. A thin cat ran up and down near me, her green eyes glittering in the dark. I put my head into the room and looked round. It was empty, dark, and smoky. I returned to the yard and there was no one there either a calf lowed behind the paling a lame grey goose waddled a little away i passed on to the second hut not a soul in the second hut either i went into the yard in the very middle of the yard in the glaring sunlight there lay with his face on the ground and a cloak thrown over his head, a boy, as it seemed to me. In a thatched shed, a few paces from him, a thin little nag with broken harness was standing near a wretched little cart. The sunshine falling in streaks through the narrow cracks in the dilapidated roof striped his shaggy reddish-brown coat in small bands of light. Above, in the high bird-house, starlings were chattering and looking down inquisitively from their airy home. I went up to the sleeping figure and began to awaken him. He lifted his head, saw me, and at once jumped up on to his feet. What, what do you want, what is it? he muttered half asleep. I did not answer him at once. I was so much impressed by his appearance picture to yourself a little creature of fifty years old with a little round wrinkled face a sharp nose little scarcely visible brown eyes and thick curly black hair which stood out on his tiny head like the cap on the top of a mushroom his whole person was excessively thin and weakly and it is absolutely impossible to translate into words the extraordinary strangeness of his expression what do you want he asked me again i explained to him what was the matter he listened slowly blinking without taking his eyes off me so cannot we get a new axle i said finally i will gladly pay for it but who are you hunters eh he asked scanning me from head to foot Hunters you shoot the fowls of heaven i suppose the wild things of the woods and is it not a sin to kill god's birds to shed their innocent blood the strange old man spoke in a very drawling tone the sound of his voice also astonished me there was none of the weakness of age to be heard in it it was marvellously sweet young and almost feminine in its softness i have no axel he added after a brief silence that thing will not suit you he pointed to his cart you have i expect a large trap but can i get one in the village not much of a village here no one has an axle here and there is no one at home either they are all at work you must go on he announced suddenly and he lay down again on the ground i had not at all expected this conclusion listen old man i said touching him on the shoulder do me a kindness help me go on in god's name i am tired i have driven into the town he said and drew his cloak over his head but pray do me a kindness i said i i will pay for it i don't want your money but please old man he half raised himself and sat up crossing his little legs i could take you perhaps to the clearing some merchants have bought the forest here god be their judge they are cutting down the forest and they have built a counting-house there god be their judge you might order an axle of them there or buy one ready-made splendid i cried delighted splendid let us go an oak axle a good one he continued not getting up from his place and is it far to this clearing uh, three miles come then we can drive there in your trap oh no come let us go i said let us go old man the coachman is waiting for us in the road the old man rose unwillingly and followed me into the street we found my coachman in an irritable frame of mind he had tried to water his horses but the water in the well it appeared was scanty in quantity and bad in taste and water in the first consideration with coachman however he grinned at the sight of the old man nodded his head and cried hallo kasyanushka good health to you good health to you a upright man replied kasyan in the dejected voice I at once made known his suggestion to the coachman. Yerefei expressed his approval of it and drove into the yard. While he was busy deliberately unharnessing the horses, the old man stood leaning with his shoulders against the gate and looking disconsolately first at him and then at me. He seemed in some uncertainty of mind. He was not very pleased as it seemed to me at our sudden visit. So they have transported you, too, Erofei asked him, suddenly lifting the wooden arch of the harness. Yes. Ah, said my coachman between his teeth. You know Martin the carpenter? Oh, of course you know Martin of Rabi? Yes. Well, he's dead. We have just met his coffin. Kassian shuddered. Dead, he said, and his head sank dejectedly. Yes, he's dead. Why didn't you cure him, eh? You know they say you cure folks. You're a doctor. My coachman was apparently laughing and jeering at the old man. And is this your trap, Pray, He added with a shrug of his shoulders in its direction. Yes. Well, a trap? F fine trap he repeated and taking it by the shafts almost turned it completely upside down a trap but what will you drive in it to the clearing you can't harness our horses in these shafts our horses are all too big i don't know replied kasyan what you are going to drive per uh, that beast perhaps he added with a sigh that broke in yorefei and going up to Cassian's nag he tapped it disparagingly on the back with the third finger of his right hand see he added contemptuously it's asleep this scarecrow i asked yorefei to harness it as quickly as he could i wanted to drive myself with Cassian to the clearing grouse are fond of such places when the little cart was quite ready and I, together with my dog, had been installed in a warped, wicker body of it, and Kasyan huddled up into a little ball, with still the same dejected expression on his face, had taken his seat in front, Yerefei came up to me and whispered with an air of mystery. You did well, Your Honor, to drive with him. He is such a queer fellow. He is cracked, you know, and his nickname is The Flea i don't know how you managed to make him out i tried to say to Yerafei that so far Cassian had seemed to me a very sensible man but my coachman continued at once in the same voice but you keep a look-out where he's driving you to and your honor be pleased to choose the axle yourself be pleased to choose a sound one well flee he added aloud uh, could i get a bit of bread in your house look about you may find some answered Cassian. he pulled the reins and we rolled away his little horse to my genuine astonishment did not go badly Cassian preserved an obstinate silence the whole way and made abrupt and unwilling answers to my questions we quickly reached the clearing and then made our way to the counting-house a lofty cottage standing by itself over a small gully which had been dammed up and converted into a pool in this counting-house i found two young merchants clerks with snow-white teeth sweet and soft eyes sweet and subtle words and sweet and wily smiles i bought an axle off them and returned to the clearing i thought that Castian would stay with a horse and await my return but he suddenly came up to me are you going to shoot birds eh he said mm, yes if i come across any i will come with you can i oh, certainly certainly so we went together the land cleared was about a mile in length i must confess i watched kasyan more than my dogs he had been aptly called Flea his little black uncovered head though his hair indeed was as good a covering as any cap seemed to flash hither and thither among the bushes he walked extraordinarily swiftly and seemed always hopping up and down as he moved he was forever stooping down to pick herbs of some kind thrusting them into his bosom muttering to himself and constantly looking at me and my dog with such a strange searching gaze among low bushes and in clearings there are often little gray birds which constantly flit from tree to tree and which whistle as they dart away. Cassian mimicked them, answered their calls. A young quail flew from between his feet, chirping, and he chirped in imitation of him. A lark began to fly down above him, moving his wings and singing melodiously. Cassian joined in his song. He did not speak to me at all the weather was glorious even more so than before but the heat was no less over the clear sky the high thin clouds were hardly stirred yellowish white like snow lying late in spring flat and drawn out like rolled-up sails slowly but perceptibly their fringed edges soft and fluffy as cotton wool changed at every moment they were melting away even these clouds and no shadow fell from them i strolled about the clearing for a long while with Cassian. young shoots which had not yet had time to grow more than a yard high surrounded the low blackened stumps with their smooth slender stems and spongy funguses with gray edges the same of which they make tender clung to these Strawberry plants flung their rosy tendrils over them mushrooms squatted close in groups the feet were constantly caught and entangled in the long grass that was parched in the scorching sun the eyes were dazzled on all sides by the glaring metallic glitter on the young reddish leaves of the trees on all sides were the variegated blue clusters of velch the golden cups of bloodwort and the half lilac half yellow blossoms of the heart's ease in some places near the disused paths on which the tracks of wheels were marked by streaks on the fine bright grass rose piles of wood blackened by wind and rain laid in yard lengths there was a faint shadow cast from them in slanting oblongs there was no other shade anywhere a light breeze rose then sank again Suddenly it would blow straight in the face and seem to be rising everything would begin to rustle merrily to nod to shake around one the supple tops of the ferns bow down gracefully and one rejoices in it but at once it dies away again and all is at rest once more only the grasshoppers chirrup in chorus with frenzied energy and wearisome is this unceasing sharp dry sound it is in keeping with the persistent heat of midday it seems akin to it as though evoked by it out of the glowing earth without having started one single covey we at least reached another clearing there the aspen trees had only lately been felled and lay stretched mournfully on the ground, crushing the grass and small undergrowth below them. On some the leaves were still green, though they were already dead and hung limply from the motionless branches, on others they were crumpled and dried up. Fresh golden-white chips lay in heaps round the stumps that were covered with bright drops. A peculiar, very pleasant, pungent odor rose from them. Farther away, nearer the wood, sounded the dull blows of the axe, and from time to time, bowing and spreading wide its arms, a bushy tree fell slowly and majestically to the ground. For a long time I did not come upon a single bird. At last a corncrake flew out of a thick clump of young oak across the wormwood springing up round it. I fired, it turned over in the air and fell. At the sound of the shot, Kastian quickly covered his eyes with his hand, and he did not stir till I had reloaded the gun and picked up the bird. When I had moved farther on, he went up to the place where the wounded bird had fallen, bent down to the grass on which some drops of blood were sprinkled, shook his head, and looked in dismay at me. I heard him afterwards whispering, A sin! Ah, yes, it's a sin! the heat forced us at last to go into the wood i flung myself down under a high nut bush over which a slender young maple gracefully stretched its slight branches Cassian sat down on the thick trunk of a felled birch tree i looked at him the leaves faintly stirred overhead and their thin greenish shadows crept softly to and fro over his feeble body muffled in a dark coat and over his little face he did not lift his head bored by his silence i lay on my back and began to admire the tranquil play of the tangled foliage on the background of the bright faraway sky a marvellously sweet occupation it is to lie on one's back in a wood and gaze upwards you may fancy you are looking into a bottomless sea that it stretches wide below you that the trees are not rising out of the earth but like the roots of gigantic weeds are dropping falling straight down into those glassy limpid depths the leaves on the trees are at one moment transparent as emeralds the next they condense into golden almost black green somewhere afar off at the end of a slender twig a single leaf hangs motionless against the blue patch of transparent sky and beside it another trembles with the motion of a fish on the line as though moving of its own will not shaken by the wind round white clouds float calmly across and calmly pass away like submarine islands and suddenly all this ocean this shining ether these branches and leaves steeped in sunlight all is rippling quivering in fleeting brilliance and a fresh trembling whisper awakens like the tiny incessant plash of a suddenly stirred eddies one does not move one looks and no word can tell what peace what joy what sweetness reigns in the heart one looks the deep pure blue stirs on one's lips a smile innocent as itself like the clouds over the sky and as it were with them happy memories pass in slow procession over the soul and still one fancies one's gaze goes deeper and deeper and draws one with it up into that peaceful shining immensity and that one cannot be brought back from that height that depth Master, master, cried Kasyan suddenly in his musical voice. I raised myself in surprise. Up till then he had scarcely replied to my questions, and now he suddenly addressed me of himself. What is it? I asked. What did you kill the bird for? He began looking me straight in the face. What for? Corncrake is game. One can eat it. THAT WAS NOT WHAT YOU KILLED IT FOR, MASTER, AS THOUGH YOU WERE GOING TO EAT IT, YOU KILLED IT FOR AMUSEMENT. WELL, YOU YOURSELF, I SUPPOSE, EAT GEESE OR CHICKENS? THOSE BIRDS ARE PROVIDED BY GOD FOR MEN, BUT THE corncrake IS A WILD BIRD OF THE WOODS, AND NOT HERE ALONE MANY THEY ARE, THE WILD THINGS OF THE WOODS AND THE FIELDS and the wild things of the rivers and marshes and moors flying on high or creeping below and a sin it is to slay them let them live their allotted life upon the earth but for man another food has been provided his food is other and other his sustenance bread the good gift of god and the water of heaven and the tame beasts that come down to us from our fathers of old." I looked in astonishment at Cassian. His words flowed freely. He did not hesitate for a word. He spoke with quiet inspiration and gentle dignity, sometimes closing his eyes. "'So is it sinful, then, to kill fish, according to you?' I asked. "'Fishes have cold blood,' he replied with conviction. "'The fish is a dumb creature.' It knows neither fear nor rejoicing. The fish is a voiceless creature. The fish does not feel. The blood in it is not living. Blood, he continued after a pause, blood is a holy thing. God's Son does not look upon blood. It is hidden away from the light. It is a great sin to bring blood into the light of day, a great sin and horror. Ah, a great sin he sighed and his head drooped forward i looked i confess in absolute amazement at the strange old man his language did not sound like the language of a peasant the common people do not speak like that nor those who aim at fine speaking his speech was meditative grave and curious i had never heard anything like it tell me please kasyan I began without taking my eyes off his slightly flushed face what is your occupation he did not answer my question at once his eyes strayed uneasily for an instant i live as the lord commands he brought out at last and as for occupation no i have no occupation i've never been very clever from a child i work when i can i'm not much of a workman how should i be i have no health my hands are awkward in the spring i catch nightingales you catch nightingales but didn't you tell me that we must not touch any of the wild things of the woods and the fields and so on we must not kill them of a certainty Death will take its own without that. Look at Martin the carpenter. Martin lived, and his life was not long. But he died. His wife now grieves for her husband, for her little children. Neither for man nor beast is there any charm against death. Death does not hasten, nor is there any escaping it. But we must not aid death and i do not kill nightingales god forbid i do not catch them to harm them to spoil their lives but for the pleasure of men for their comfort and delight do you go to kursk to catch them yes i go to kursk and farther too at times i pass nights in the marshes or at the edge of the forests i am alone at night in the fields in the thickets there the curlews call and the hares squeak and the wild ducks lift up their voices i note them at evening at morning i give ear to them at daybreak i cast my net over the bushes there are nightingales that sing so pitifully sweet yeah pitifully and do you sell them i give them to good people and what are you doing now what am i doing yes how are you employed the old man was silent for a little i am not employed at all i am a poor workman but i can read and write you can read yes i can read and write i learned by the help of god and good people have you a family no not a family how so are they dead then no but i have never been lucky in life but all that is in god's hands we are all in god's hands and a man should be righteous that is all A pride before god that is it and you have no kindred yes well the old man was confused tell me please i began I heard my coachman ask you why you did not cure Martin. You cure disease? Your coachman is a righteous man, Gostyan answered thoughtfully. I too am not without sin. They call me a doctor. Me a doctor, indeed. And who can heal the sick? That is all a gift from God. But there are yes there are herbs and there are flowers they are of use of a certainty there is plantain for instance a herb good for man there is bud- gold too it is not sinful to speak of them they are holy herbs of god then there are others not so and they may be of use but it is a sin and to speak of them is a sin still with prayer maybe and doubtless there are such words but who has faith shall be saved he added dropping his voice you did not give martin anything i asked i heard of it too late replied the old man but what of it each man's destiny is written from his birth the carpenter martin was not to live he was not to live upon the earth that was what it was no when a man is not to live on the earth him the sunshine does not warm like another and him the bread does not nourish and make strong it is as though something is drawing him away yes god rest his soul have you been settled long among us i asked him after a short pause Cassian started no not long four years in the old master's time we always lived in our old houses but the trustees transported us our old master was a kind heart a man of peace the kingdom of heaven be his the trustees doubtless judged righteously and where did you live before at fair springs is it far from here a hundred miles well were you better off there yes yes there there was open country with rivers it was our home here we are cramped and parched up here we are strangers there at home at fair springs you could get up on to a hill and ah my god what a sight you could see streams and plains and forests and there was a church and then came plains beyond you could see far very far yes how far you could look you could look and look ah yes here doubtless the soil is better it is clay good fat clay as the peasants say for me the corn grows well enough everywhere confessed an old man you would like to visit your birthplace again yes i should like to see it still all places are good i am a man without kin without neighbors and after all do you gain much prey by staying at home but behold as you walk and as you walk he went on raising his voice the heart grows lighter over truth and the sun shines upon you and you are in the sight of god and the singing comes more tunefully here you look what herb is growing you look on it you pick it here water runs perhaps spring water a source of pure holly water so you drink of it you look on it too the birds of heaven sing and beyond kursk come the steppes, that steppes country ah what a marvel what a delight for man what freedom what a blessing of god and they go on folks tell even to the warm seas where dwells the sweet-voiced birds the hamayun and from the trees the leaves fall not neither in autumn nor in winter and apples grow of gold on silver branches and every man lives in uprightness and content and i would go even there have i journeyed so little already i have been to romyon and to simbirsk the fair city and even to moscow of the golden domes i have been to oka the good nurse and to tsna the dove and to our mother volga and many folks good christians have i seen and noble cities i have visited well i would go thither yes and more too and i am not the only one I, a poor sinner many other christians go in bath shoes roaming of the world seeking truth yeah for what is there at home no righteousness in man it's that these last words kasyan uttered quickly almost unintelligibly then he said something more which i could not catch at all and such a strange expression passed over his face that i involuntarily recalled the epithet cracked he looked down cleared his throat and seemed to come to himself again what sunshine he murmured in a low voice it is a blessing o lord what warmth in the woods! He gave a movement of the shoulders and fell into silence. With a vague look round him he began softly to sing. I could not catch all the words of his slow chant. I heard the following. They call me Cassian, but my nickname's the Flea. Oh! I thought. So he improvises. Suddenly he started and ceased singing, looking intently at a thick part of the wood. I turned and saw a little peasant girl, about seven years old, in a blue frock, with a checked handkerchief over her head and a woven bark-basket in her little bare sunburnt hand. She had certainly not expected to meet us. She had, as they say, stumbled upon us, and she stood motionless in a shady recess among the thick foliage of the nut-trees looking dismayed at me with her black eyes. I had scarcely time to catch a glimpse of her she dived behind a tree annushka annushka come here don't be afraid cried the old man caressingly i'm afraid came her shrill voice don't be afraid don't be afraid come to me annushka left her hiding place in silence walked softly round her little childish feet scarcely sounded on the thick grass and came out of the bushes near the old man she was not a child of seven as i had fancied at first from her diminutive stature but a girl of thirteen or fourteen her whole person was small and thin but very neat and graceful and her pretty little face was strikingly like Cassian's own though he was certainly not handsome there were the same thin features and the same strange expression shy and confiding melancholy and shrewd and her gestures were the same kasyan kept his eyes fixed on her she took her stand at his side well have you picked any mushrooms he asked yes she answered with a shy smile did you find minnie yes she stole a swift look at him and smiled again. Are they white ones? Yes. Show me, show me. She slipped the basket off her arm and half lifted the big burdock leaf, which covered up the mushrooms. Ah," said Kasyan, bending down over the basket. "What splendid ones! Well done, Anushka. She's your daughter, Kasyan, isn't she?" I asked. Anushka's face flushed faintly no well a relative replied kasyan with affected indifference come annushka run along he added at once run along and god be with you and take care but why should she go on foot i interrupted we could take her with us annushka blushed like a poppy grasped the handle of her basket with both hands and looked in trepidation at the old man no she will get there all right he answered in the same languid and indifferent voice why not she will get there run along Anushka went rapidly away into the forest kasyan looked after her then looked down and smiled to himself in this prolonged smile in the few words he had spoken to Anushka, and in the very sound of his voice when he spoke to her there was an intense indescribable love and tenderness he looked again in the direction she had gone, again smiled to himself, and, passing his hand across his face, he nodded his head several times. "'Why did you send her away so soon?' I asked him. "'I would have bought her mushrooms.' "'Well, you can buy them there at home just the same, sir, if you like,' he answered for the first time, using the formal sir in addressing me. "'She's very pretty, your girl.' "'No, only so-so.' he answered with seeming reluctance and from that instant he relapsed into the same uncommunicative mood as at first seeing that all my efforts to make him talk again were fruitless i went off into the clearing meantime the heat had somewhat abated but my ill success or as they say among us my ill luck continued and i returned to the settlement with nothing but one corncrake and the new axle just as we were driving into the yard, Cassian suddenly turned to me. Master, master, he began, do you know I have done you a wrong? It was I cast a spell to keep all the game off. How so? Oh, I can do that. Here you have a well-trained dog and a good one, but he could do nothing. When you think of it, what are men? What are they? here is a beast what have they made of him it would have been useless for me to try to convince Kastiano of the impossibility of casting a spell on game and so i made him no reply meantime we had turned into the yard Anushka was not in the hut she had had time to get there before us and to leave her basket of mushrooms Yerefei fitted in the new axle first exposing it to a severe and most unjust criticism and an hour later i set off leaving a small sum of money with Cassian, which at first he was unwilling to accept but afterwards after a moment's thought holding it in his hand he put it in his bosom in the course of this hour he had scarcely uttered a single word he stood as before leaning against the gate he made no reply to the reproaches of my coachman, and took leave very coldly of me. Directly I turned round, I could see that my worthy Erefei was in a gloomy frame of mind. To be sure, he had found nothing to eat in the country, the only water for his horses was bad. We drove off, with dissatisfaction expressed even in the back of his head, he sat on the box burning to begin to talk to me. While waiting for me to begin by some question, he confined himself to a low muttering, in an undertone and some rather caustic instructions to the horses. "'A village,' he muttered. "'Call that a village. You ask for a drop of kvass, not a drop of kvass even. Ah, oh Lord! And the water? Simply filth!' He spat loudly. "'Not a cucumber, nor kvass, nor nothing.' "'Now, then,' he added aloud, turning to the right-trace horse, "'I know you, you humbug!' And he gave him a cut with a whip. "'That horse has learned to shirk his work entirely, and yet he was a willing beast once. "'Now, then, look alive!' "'Tell me, please, Yerefei,' I began, "'what sort of a man is Cassian? Yarafei did not answer me at once, he was in general a reflective and deliberate fellow, but I could see directly that my question was soothing and cheering to him. The flea, he said at last, gathering up the reins, he's a queer fellow, yes, a crazy chap. Such a queer fellow you wouldn't find another like him in a hurry. You know, for example, he's for all the world like our own horse here. He gets out of everything, out of work, that's to say. But then, what sort of workman could he be? He's hardly body enough to keep his soul in. But still, of course, he's been like that from a child up, you know. At first he followed his uncle's business as a carrier. There were three of them in the business. But then he got tired of it, you know, he threw it up. He began to live at home, but he could not keep at home long. He's so restless, a regular flea, in fact. He happened by good luck to have a good master. He didn't worry him. Well, so ever since he has been wandering about like a lost sheep. And then he's so strange there's no understanding him. Sometimes he'll be as silent as a post, and then he'll begin talking and god knows what he'll say is that good manners pray he's an absurd fellow that he is but he sings well for all that and does he cure people really cure people well how should he a fine sort of doctor though he did cure me of the king's evil i must own but how can he he's a stupid fellow that's what he is he added after a moment's pause have you known him long a long while i was his neighbor at sychovka up at fair springs and what of that girl who met us in the wood Anushka? what relation is she to him erofei looked at me over his shoulder and grinned all over his face he <laughs> he yes they are relations she's an orphan she has no mother and it's not even known who her mother was but she must be a relation she's too much like him anyway she lives with him she's a smart girl there's no denying a good girl and as for the old man she's simply the apple of his eye she's a good girl and do you know you wouldn't believe it but do you know he's managed to teach Anushka to read well well that's quite like him he's such an extraordinary fellow such a changeable fellow there is no reckoning on him really hey 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 my coachman suddenly interrupted himself and stopping the horses he bent over on one side and began sniffing isn't there a smell of burning yes why that new axle i do declare i thought i'd greased it we must get on to some water why here is a puddle just right and Yerefe slowly got off his seat untied the pail went to the pool and coming back listened with a certain satisfaction to the hissing of the box of the wheel as the water suddenly touched it six times during some eight miles he had to pour water on the smouldering axle and it was quite evening when we got home at last End of Cassian of Fair Springs